Welcome to the Stratcom podcast series. I'm Omar Kablan. I'm a presenter at TRT World. I host a show called Double Check. We'll be talking about cybersecurity. Joining me is Jody Westby, who's the CEO of Global Cyber Risk, a company which has developed a reputation for its first-tier cybersecurity advisory and technical services. Jody has more than 30 years of technical, legal, policy, and business experience and has developed various methods for cyber risk assessments, incidents response planning, cyber governance, and digital inventories and data mapping. Jody, thanks for joining us. Can we just start with, well, let's go with your company's name. What is the global cyber risk? Uh, Global Cyber Risk um, is a company I founded 20 years ago. And as you said, we focus on helping governments and private sector, largely private sector organizations, manage their cyber risk, which is, as you know, an increasing challenge these days. We also do incident response planning and, as you mentioned, um, data governance, uh, um, data mapping. But now we're also doing a lot of data governance and pressing. Um, in with what management and boards need to be doing to govern cyber risk. In part, this has this whole threat environment, which just is thriving. The cyber criminals are clearly winning, is in part because the people at the top of organizations have not been paying the attention they need to these risks and allocating the money that needs to be allocated to them to really protect their digital assets. And most companies are digital assets. So we help companies and organizations manage their cyber risk, identify their risks and um, develop more maturity. So that's what we do. And we work with companies all over the world. Okay, is cyber security needed for everyone, not just companies, but individuals, government agencies, NGOs, is everyone now uh, at a threat of cyber attacks? Everyone is. Everyone. And a lot of the small businesses think that they won't be attacked because they're too small and nobody would care about them. But actually, <laughs> they're, they're right in the crosshairs right now because they're easy targets. And you can use their machines to attack other machines if they have rich intellectual property. And often those the small developing companies are the ones that have developed the new innovative tools or technologies, then they can just use their systems for other purposes as well, or use extortion with ransomware and, and try to get as much money as they can out from them. But it's a, it's a problem for every single person on the planet. And there's a term that I coined about year 2000 called geo-cyber stability. And I defined it as the ability of all countries to utilize the internet for both national security purposes and economic, political, and social benefit, while refraining from activities that could cause unnecessary suffering and destruction. So that that geo-cyber stability is what's missing, because that is for every country and its population to be able to use the internet for play, for work, for living, for economic purposes, for businesses to do their business. And clearly, we do not have geocyber stability. We have geocyber instability globally. Okay. And can you talk about the 
you know, legal frameworks internationally about combating cyber warfare? Well, we don't have a legal framework. So we do have the laws of armed conflict. And those have undergone several modifications. But right now, they really don't apply to cyber. And you sort of have to stretch words to say, well, this could include cyber. So there is no legal framework that is harmonized globally for cybercrime. Every incident begins as a cybercrime. You start investigating it. You may ultimately find out that a nation state's involved in it, but it always begins as a, a cybercrime investigation. It's very hard to do with an inconsistent legal framework. So we don't have a consistent legal framework for cybercrime. And how the laws of armed conflict that would apply to all countries, they're now customary international law. So even if a country didn't sign on to those uh, laws, there's several Geneva Convention. The laws of armed conflict is just not one small section of laws. It's a very huge collection of, of various bodies and protocols. But it's there and it's served us quite well for a long time. And it's been modified first for to include navies and to include air force and then to have special uh, amendments about use of things like landmines and hollow bullets and chemical warf warfare. So we've put some restrictions, but none of that is specific to cyber. So whether you're talking about cyber crime or we're talking about nation states, and that doesn't mean necessarily a nation state attacking another nation state. It can just simply be state sponsored or just state facilitated. But we don't have any laws that really apply to any of that behavior. And so that's a big problem because when we have a major cyber conflict situation, maybe not what I would say escalates to cyber warfare. How is that going to be managed? It's not. I mean, it's going to be chaos. And it's a very serious problem I worry about a lot. But you are and people involved in this sector expecting certain laws to, to take place, right? Well, um, it's going to take some leadership at the United Nations. And we don't have time to wait for this. I mean, for, here's a good example. We have what when you don't have the consistent cybercrime laws, it, it greatly impedes investigations. You can't get the data you need from the communication providers from point to point. And often this is international, by the way, packet switching works. If I send you an email and maybe you're here in America and a mile away, it may go through another country uh, before it gets to you because of the way packet switching works. And so they're often international. And if you don't have the consistent framework to get the investigation going, get the evidence you need, then of course you don't really have attribution at the end to know who was doing the attack. So on the civilian front, that's a big problem with the legal framework. But at the nation state level, consider that China is already, they've developed robotic soldiers because they had their one baby policy. And they've determined now they don't have enough people to meet their military manned forces needs. So they are developing robotic soldiers to use. Now, do we really want to be in combat against a robotic soldier? 
that can run 35 miles an hour, that doesn't get tired, that operates by algorithms or what someone's telling it to do. I mean, that's a huge advantage if you're in combat with another human versus a robot. And so what, there's not any restriction at this point that would say you cannot use robots for men in warfare. But that brings a cyber edge to it, even in looking at regular kinetic warfare. So whether we're talking about blowing up critical infrastructure, or we're talking about disabling satellites, or we're talking about attacks on banks or financial systems or utility grids, all of that can be backed by or organized by or conducted by a nation state. And if it's a nation states rely on an international legal framework to pull all those together, it's not there. And if you have individuals doing this, then you have to rely on criminal substantive and procedural provisions. And that's very inconsistent around the globe. So it's a big problem. Jody, can you just explain to us exactly what ransomware is? Yes. So ransomware is malware that gets in a system. And it can get in a system by a phishing attack where someone sends an email and convinces someone to click on something or open an attachment. And that what that does is it then loads malware into the system. Or now there's the clickless attack where companies running out of support software or unpatched software and um, the vulnerabilities to that particular piece of software are known. So criminals can just go exploit that vulnerability. And it's pretty easy to scan on the internet and see who's running what. And then you can just exploit the vulnerability and get in the system and put your malware in there. And so the malware gets in the system and now it's very, ransomware has grown in capabilities. It can get in your system. It can corrupt your data. It can zero out your data. It can encrypt your data. It can go find your backups. It can encrypt and zero out or corrupt your backups. And um, it can exfiltrate data. So often they'll come in and find the backups first and then encrypt or, or zero those out. And then they'll go to the main data do what they and exfiltrate it. And if they exfiltrate the data, then they have the data. Then they can still zero encrypt it on your system or zero it out. And then they send you an email saying your system is, is under our control and you have to pay a ransom for us to give you the key to decrypt all your data. Um, they also are, are reaching out to the victims of the people that, so for example, if they break into a hospital and steal medical records, exfiltrate medical records, they're going to people and saying, uh, the hospital doesn't want to pay our ransom, so you pay it or we're going to post your medical information on the internet. So they're actually going to the, the people that are the victims of the attack and trying and also extorting them for money. So it's, it's been fueled globally. It's been wildly successful this past year. And it has turned the insurance industry on its head because they're having to pay so many claims and ransomware payments. And so it's become a big-ish policy issue as well. So when you say, you know, they ask for ransom, is that, so is the general motive behind these cyber attacks generally monetary about getting money or are there other motives? The attacks, sure, they want money. And, and that's their main goal. So the harder they make it, if obviously if they zero out backups, 
or corrupt them or encrypt the backups, then people can't just restore their system. So they're trying to get to every aspect that would allow someone to say, no, I'm not paying you. I'll just restore my system. They're trying to thwart that and saying, well, you can't because now we've encrypted your backups too. If people have data rest encrypted, then it's not much use to the criminals. One is they um, have encrypted data. They don't even know what they have. Um, It's hard to do third-party extortion with that. But it's it's a very big problem. And it's been quite successful, frankly. And so the companies find themselves in the position of having to pay if they want to stay in business. That's what it comes down to. So, Jody, can you talk about some of the countermeasures that are taken, that your company takes, for example, so things don't get to this point? Well, there's some basic things that people just still don't do. So one is they shouldn't allow removable media on your system. That's just a great way to introduce malware into a system. You can get thumb drives given away at conferences and they could have malware on them and you bring them back to your organization and you plug it in. One of the favorite espionage means is to scatter them, drop them here or there in a parking lot and somebody finds it, picks it up and then, oh, let me see what's on this. Um, Or maybe I could use this. And they put it on the on a computer and whatever computer they plug it into gets infected. So there's some basic practices like making sure passwords are strong, using multi-factor authentication, making sure your firewall's configured right, having logging and monitoring that logging, making sure you have the data at rest that's really important encrypted, having remote access locked down so people just can't remote in, uh, restricting remote desktop protocol. There are a lot of those basics that are really important Mm -hmm. that companies just aren't doing. The other thing is to have an incident response plan that can handle a multi-pronged attack and to also have backup and and recovery. Um, And many companies have not spent the money on developing an incident response plan and they haven't spent the money on backup and recovery. And so then when they suddenly find that they they don't have off-site backups. A lot of people go replicate data from one site to another. Well, if the site goes down, we'll simply switch to another. Well, yeah, but what if your data at both, if you have that open and it's constantly replicating, the malware just follows the replication path and that's how it gets to the replicated data. Then you have nothing. And people have stopped having these off-site backups and you just can't do that. You have to still back up your data and have it off-site. You have to test it and make sure you can restore And have that capability because you're trying to find out if you can do it when you've had an incident is not the time to test. Jody, just finally, so when you look ahead, when you look towards the future, where do you see all of this going? Do you think there'll be more cyber attacks? Do you think cybersecurity will become, you know, the one of the most important uh, aspects for companies, agencies, NGOs? How do you project things will move forward? It already is the most important risk for companies. So that's not going to go away in the near future. It's only go away when we get mature security programs, when we get boards of directors and C-suites making sure that they have cybersecurity as buttoned up as their legal compliance, when we have a consistent legal framework for cybercrime as well as cyber conflict or cyber warfare, Only then are we going to see that there's some common rules of the road and there's some ability to track and trace and get attribution and deal with this. The 
urgency at the multilateral fora level, like the United Nations, can't be stressed enough. Now, NATO has said, okay, so we'll say that NATO says this would, uh, an attack on a cyber attack would trigger Article 5 to have, have other countries come in to mutually protect that country that was attacked. Okay, but NATO is, is just a few countries. And there are about 280 countries and territories connected to the internet. So um, we, we really have so much work to do. The internet, you know, first, really the first browser came out in 1994. Mm-hmm. And we had, we've had the internet around for a long time. I, you know, 94, 95. You think about we're into 2022. And we're sitting here talking about our legal frameworks can't accommodate this environment the whole globe is dependent upon. So the policy aspects of this have been long neglected, and it's a very significant threat, and it's what's allowing the criminals actually to win. So I just think we, we are going to see more of the threat environment get more and more serious. And I think you're going to see a change in insurance. People have used cyber insurance as a hedge. Oh, well, so if I have to pay 50000 for a cybersecurity policy, that's less than the 300000 my CISO says I need to spend. So I'll just spend the 50000 And if something happens, the insurance company will pay for the ransomware, and they'll probably pay for a lot of the remediation of the 300000 I should have been doing. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. And so companies are buying insurance policies and not really um, making sure they have secure programs. And the insurance companies have in large encouraged that. They wanted market share. They wanted to sell policies. Well, they got they got hit this year because of all the ransomware attacks. They're bleeding now. And some of them are discussing not paying ransomware. Some governments are discussing making ransomware payments illegal. So there are a lot of actions that need to take place within organizations, whether they're public or private sector, just to mature their program, align it with internationally accepted best practices and standards like ISO 27001, and to get our legal framework and policy frameworks coordinated at the global level. We're talking about big tasks that take time. So I don't see much changing for the next five years, frankly, because it's it's that big of a problem and takes that much effort. Jody Westby, thanks so much for a very informative discussion on the Stratcom podcast. Thank you for having me.